Turn in, uh, in your Bibles with me or on your app to Revelation chapter 20. That's where we're going to be today. And I really just want to kind of set up where we're going to be. We'll read the passage here in just a second. But think about this with me for just a moment. It's a would you rather question. I'm going to give you two options. Would you rather be judged by the best thing you ever did on the best day of your life? Or would you rather be judged by the worst thing you ever did on the worst day of your life? Which would you prefer? Would you rather be judged by the best thing you ever did on the best day of your life or the worst thing you ever did on the worst day of your life? That seems like the answer to that's pretty obvious, right? Of, of course, I'd like to be judged by the best thing I ever did on the best day of my life. But don't we live in a culture right now that screams, don't judge me? It's not that we want to be judged by the best thing we ever did on the best day of our life. I think in our heart of hearts, we just don't want to be judged at all. And at the same time, there's a kind of hypocrisy there because as loudly as we will scream, don't judge me, our culture also cries out for justice, right? We want both. Don't judge me, but allow me to experience justice. And so there's a kind of hypocrisy there that we have to be careful of. And we've all experienced the moment that I'm talking about. Uh, I was a student at OBU. I was, that was where I did my undergraduate work was at OBU. I was a music major there. And so I had conducting classes. You know what the conductor does. The conductor stands at the front of the orchestra or the choir, and they wave their arm like a madman, and then magic happens. It's crazy what happens musically when a, when a conductor just conducts like that. So I had, at OBU, I had conducting classes. I didn't know, you may not have known that that's even a thing, but I, I had conducting classes, and I learned how to wave my arm like a madman, and music, why aren't you all singing yet? Come on, I'm waving my arm. Um, and so I did that, and at the same time I was a student at Oklahoma Baptist University, I was also on staff at the First Baptist Church in Moore, and at that time, Moore was a fairly good-sized church. They average about 2,500 people on a Sunday morning. My responsibility was to to be the worship leader for our student and college ministries. So I led the band, and I'd lead us on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. And then at that church, they also had a student choir. And that choir had about 80 or so voices in it, and it was all students. And that was my responsibility to lead that. And it's a big church. And see, even on Sunday nights, they would have about 1,000 people show up to their Sunday night services, and they broadcast all those things on television. You guys remember what television is, right? That little box, you had to turn the thing to get to the right channel. Yeah, so, so about 1,000 people Sunday night. I'm leading worship because it's time for the students to lead the Sunday night worship service. And so I'm leading the band, and I turn around to lead the choir, and I conduct the choir. And it never really even crossed my mind that I should be nervous. It just never crossed my mind. 1,000 people, TV bunch of kids. We're having a good time. Just never crossed my mind to do that. Well, in that same semester is when I had one of those conducting classes. My professor was Dr. Hansford. The very next day was a Monday morning. Well, Monday morning was a Monday afternoon. Class was at two. So I go in this little room. There's 16 music majors and the professor, Dr. Hansford, and he says, all right, today we're going to do a conducting jury. And conducting jury is, that's a test. And so I, it's your turn to stand up and lead these 16 people, and I want you to conduct this piece. Well, man, I knew the piece. I knew how to conduct. I've done that. I just did that yesterday for a 1,000 people and all that stuff. It just never crossed my mind to be nervous. But in that moment when Dr. Hansford said, it's time for your juries, 
I conducted that class like this the whole time. My hand never stopped moving like that because I was just so nervous. And at the end of it, Dr. Hansford said, well, you did a good job. I just don't think we can make this sound. I don't know how to do that. And so I just was so nervous in that moment. And the reason I was nervous was because I knew I was being judged. Now, I'm sure there was a kind of judgment on the Sunday night moment. Is it, you know, you know, bless me if you can. You know, I'm sure that there was that kind of a moment on Sunday night, but I just didn't feel it. But on Monday, in that class, when I knew that a grade would be given, I just felt the pressure and the tension, and it made me nervous. And I'll bet you've experienced that too. Maybe not musically. Uh, most of you probably aren't conductors or musicians, but, but maybe on the ball field, maybe you go to practice and you swing that bat in the batting cages and you just hit one ball after another and it's not a problem at all. You just swing good, you swing strong, it's great. And then you get in the batter's box during the game. And suddenly in your head and your heart and your stomach, something happens because you just know this is that moment I got to connect. And for whatever reason, you swing and you miss, or you just let it go by looking, and you've just, and you're like, what happened? I could do this yesterday. Why can't I do this today? And it's because for whatever reason right now, you know this is the moment that will be judged. This is the moment that will matter. And you know, the hypocrisy of who we are as a culture is just really interesting. Don't judge me. We cry out for that. Don't judge me. And at the same time, we desperately want justice to be satisfied. And I think one of the reasons that we struggle with that don't judge me and I want justice to be satisfied is because we're not really confident that there's a righteous judge, right? In order for there to be justice, there must be judgment. In order for there to be judgment, there must be a judge. And if the judge is a righteous judge and, and judges fairly and accurately and evenly, we're all okay with that. But if we don't believe there's a righteous judge, then we have this huge problem. And that's why we would say, don't judge me, but I want justice. And actually, you can see that too played out every Saturday on the football field, right? Every Saturday on the football field, you've got the refs that are calling the game. And man, as soon as that little yellow flag comes out against my team, that ref is a complete idiot who can't see anything. He's just so blind because he threw the flag on my team. But when he throws the flag on the other team, you're so brilliant. Man, you are the coolest guy ever. 15 yards? Yeah. And, and so there's, you, you see that. Right? Don't judge me, but I want justice. In order for there to be justice, there has to be judgment. Where there is judgment, there must be a judge. And I'm here today to tell you that in this passage of Scripture, there is a righteous judge, and judgment is coming. We should be ready for that. There is a righteous judge. And judgment is coming. Actually, that's what we've seen in this entire series. We've been doing a series on the end times and looking at some passages in Revelation, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and other places like that. And, and if we've seen anything, there's lots of great debates and conversations to be had about when does the rapture happen? What's the millennial reign all about? What are all these bowls and trumpets? And, and, and what's that all about? And, and, and this, you know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, it makes for great stories, it makes for great debates and great conversations. But if we've seen anything... Regardless of where you land on all of those debates, when Jesus returns, he's going to do three things. He's going to deliver grace. 
He's going to satisfy justice, and he's going to make all things new. We've seen that in every sermon and in every service. Every time you've done your daily devotional and read through Revelation or something like that, we've seen that when Jesus comes, and he's coming, when Jesus comes, he'll deliver grace, he'll satisfy justice, and he'll make all things new. And Revelation 1 through 19 prove over and over and over again, Jesus is the righteous judge. That's who he is. He's the one whose judgment we can trust and whose judgment is sure and secure. And Revelation 1 through 19 just proves Jesus is the righteous judge. And then we get to Revelation 20, which is the passage of Scripture we'll be in today. Go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 20. And while you're doing that, just listen as you turn to Revelation chapter 20. Um, there's a, a, a practice we have here that we like. When We like to, in the context of worship, stand when we read God's word, and then at the end of reading it, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And, and again, as an act of worship, you'll respond, praise be to God. So go ahead and turn to Revelation 20, stand up with me, and let's read this passage of scripture together. Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. Jesus is the righteous judge, and judgment is coming. Verse 11 says, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them and I saw the dead small and great standing before God and books were opened and another book was opened which was the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works and by the things which were written in the books the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one according to his works then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much. You can be seated. You're going to hear me say this several times today. Judgment is coming. What a happy message to present on a Sunday to you all. Judgment is coming. And here's the thing that I hope us to see. There's several things that I want us to notice. For a believer, for someone who is a follower of Christ, judgment is very different than for someone who has rejected Christ. For someone who's stiff-armed God and say, I don't, says, I don't believe, I don't want it, I don't, I don't think anything of it, I, you know, and then, I don't really trust organized religion, well, join the club, neither do I, but, but that's not really got to do with God. If you stiff-arm God and you say, no, I, I don't want that, if you reject him, judgment for someone who is a follower of Christ is a very different thing than judgment for someone who rejects Christ, who rejects God. Take a look at this. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 talks about judgment for believers. Romans chapter 14 verse 10 says, But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Judgment for a believer is very different than judgment for someone who has rejected Christ. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you see what judgment looks like for someone who's a believer. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. 
According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's works will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire." And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved as though through fire. Then go ahead and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. And again, judgment for someone who is a follower of Christ is just different for someone who rejects Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad, knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. We persuade men, but we are well-known to God, and I also trust are well-known in your consciences. Judgment is coming. And for someone who's a follower of Christ, it's very different than for someone who has rejected Christ. And here's, here's what I mean by that. The judgment seat for someone who is a follower of Christ, here's what's going to happen. For you as a follower of Christ at the judgment, every wrong will be redeemed and every right will be rewarded. Every wrong for a follower of Christ at the judgment seat, every wrong will be redeemed and every right will be rewarded. Here's what I mean by that. Here's why that's so beautiful. You heard Paul talk about that foundation that was laid. If this is the line, on the day you stand before the righteous judge, if you are a Christ follower, if you've placed your faith in Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the dead so that we can be forgiven, if you've been forgiven by Christ, the lowest you can possibly go is every wrong that you've committed will be redeemed. And every wrong that was done to you will be redeemed. And every right that you experience after your salvation or every right you experience in your salvation, that will be rewarded. We have this opportunity to build on top of this incredible foundation, not works that make us right with God and not works that earn our way to heaven. Our works can never do that. We can't possibly be good enough, strong enough, fast enough, smart enough, wise enough, holy enough, righteous enough. We can't possibly be that to be good enough to get into heaven. The only thing that can do that is the righteous judge declaring us not guilty because the blood of Jesus has been applied to your life. That's the only thing that can happen. As soon as that happens, the lowest you can go is that in the judgment, because judgment's coming, for a believer, every wrong will be redeemed and every right will be rewarded. Do you know what that does for me as a follower of Christ? In that moment when someone shouts, don't judge me, I just want justice, do you know what I can do as a follower of Christ? The Bible says I can boldly enter the throne room of heaven. I can walk in with boldness. I can humbly 
walk in with confidence. I can look at the righteous judge. And because I follow him, because of his sacrifice for me, humbly, confidently, boldly, I can say, judge me. Judge me. Because of the glory of what Christ has done for me means in that moment, every wrong I've done, every wrong done to me will be redeemed. And every right will be rewarded. God will take all of the things that I've done that are in line with his will, that are to his glory and for his namesake, and he'll, he'll issue to that person who's being judged in that moment, who's been redeemed of all those wrong things. He'll give these incredible rewards, and we'll have this opportunity to go, thank you, Jesus, for your salvation. And all of these rewards are only, the only way I could do this is because of the grace and the mercy and the love that you've given to me. So, man, how wonderful it is for me to be able to take these rewards, Father, and lay them at your feet. It's this beautiful moment, not simply of salvation, but where with my life and with your life, you can boldly enter the throne room of God's grace. You can stand before the judgment seat, and with humility and with confidence, you can say, judge me. Because, God, I want you to see what I've built for you. Not to get into this place, but because, God, you've done powerful, miraculous, unbelievable things through my life in ways that I never expected. You've all had that moment, right? Those of you who are parents or grandparents, where you've gone into the school and it's kindergarten or first grade and they're all the projects. It's a family project. Hey, draw a picture of your family. Make a little statue of your family or diorama or whatever of your family. You've had that moment where you go in for show and tell day and you walk in and there's little projects everywhere, right? And they all look like little projects that were made by kindergartners or first graders, right? You've seen all of that. And really, in all honesty, you don't even notice all the other projects, right? You walk right past all of those projects to find the project that was made by your son or by your daughter. You've had that moment, right? And in the eyes of the world and in the eyes of any art expert, they would look at that and they would go, wow, that's special. <laughs> they would look at that and not consider it high art or high value. But because it was your son or your granddaughter, because they're your family and they made that for you, you look at that art and you go, this is the most incredible, beautiful thing I've ever, I've ever received. And you look at your son or daughter, granddaughter, thank you. Thank you so much. This is incredible. And I'd be willing to bet that some of you today have adult children and that project is in your house somewhere still, right? It might still be on the refrigerator, <laughs> but it's there somewhere. That's this moment for believers. For a follower of Christ, I can boldly enter the throne room of God's grace. And because of his grace, because the sacrifice of Jesus got me in the door in the first place, I can walk up with humility and with confidence. I can look in the loving eyes of the righteous judge and I can say, judge me. And the lowest I can possibly go 
is that every wrong will be redeemed and every right will be rewarded. And just like that little kindergarten picture of our family, God has an opportunity to look in your eyes and say, well done, my good and faithful service. Enter into your rest. Isn't that beautiful? Why wouldn't you want that? Because judgment is coming. Look at Revelation 20. It's our home passage for this morning, Revelation 20. Read it just one more time. Look at this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The great white throne of judgment is for people who have rejected God. It's for people who have listened to his grace and rejected it, who have seen it, heard it, thought about it, and said no. For the people who have said, I just don't believe in God or that there's a God. I just don't trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. I'm just going to, that's good for y'all, but for me, I'm just going to reject that. I don't want that. In that moment, hey, guess what? Judgment is still coming. And judgment is going to be executed by the righteous judge. And in that moment, for those who have rejected Christ, oh man, believers, listen to this. This is for you too, believers, because this should put in your heart such a sense of urgency to share the gospel with people. Listen to what happens next. For those who have rejected Christ, what ends up happening is Every wrong is revealed, and every wrongdoer will receive their just reward. That's what happens in that moment. For those who have rejected Christ, every wrong will be revealed, and every wrongdoer will receive their just reward. Justice will be satisfied. It'll be satisfied not in the life of Christ that was given for you and me, They'll receive the justice of all the acts and all the words and all the things that they committed. Every wrong will be revealed. It'll be put on open public display for the universe to see. Every wrong will be revealed, and then every wrongdoer will receive their just reward. Because here's the thing about judgment. Judgment's coming, and justice will be satisfied. And that's the beauty of the gospel. God has said, well, you guys know this verse, right? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He doesn't just forgiveness on the basis of, well, I like people. He doesn't just forgive us on the basis of, I love you. He doesn't just forgive us on the basis of, you're kind of cute. He doesn't forgive us on those arbitrary standards that we think are so important. He only forgives us in light of the satisfaction of justice, the punishment and penalty for every wrong ever committed against you, against anyone else, something that you did, every one of them, justice will be satisfied. But here's the difference between a lost person and a saved person. Here's the difference between a follower of Christ and a non-believer or a follower of Christ and someone who rejects Christ. For those who are Christ followers, justice is satisfied because on the cross, Jesus took the punishment and the penalty for every wrong I've done 
and every wrong done to me. That's what he did on the cross. For every believer, every wrong will be redeemed and every right will be rewarded. For every non-believer, you've just decided as a non-believer, I don't want somebody else to take the punishment that I deserve. I want to do that myself. That's what you've decided. When you reject Jesus, what you're saying is, I want justice to be satisfied. Don't satisfy justice through him for me. Satisfy justice in me. And I'm going to say it again. Judgment is coming. And the righteous judge will satisfy justice. Either in the life of Christ or in yours. See, that's an interesting reality that for a believer, every wrong will be revealed or every wrong will be redeemed. You know what that means is that in this world, all those wrongs that you've done and all the wrongs that, that, that have been done to you, the worst or the closest to hell you may ever come as a believer is this old world. Because in that moment, you're in eternity, you're in the perfection of heaven, and all those wrongs are redeemed. And then the rights are rewarded. It's closest to hell you'll ever get, right here, right now, today. But for those who reject God, who reject his grace, who reject his salvation, who reject his son, every wrong will be revealed, every wrongdoer will receive their just reward. And the end of the thing is, this old world is the closest to heaven you'll ever get. Don't judge me, but give me justice. Where there's justice, there has to be judgment. Where there's judgment, there has to be a judge. And we desperately cry out for that judge to be a righteous judge. And according to Revelation, he is. His name is Jesus. And you can trust in him. So there's two outcomes to this that you ought to consider. I'll talk to believers first. For so many believers, I see us struggle through that. I mean, we pick up the habits of the world, right? We have this tendency to look at people and go, well, don't judge me. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And I would say that's the wrong stance. So let me ask you this question as a believer. Because of your salvation, do you flirt with sin? Do you do that? Instead of living in the glorious fields of grace that God's given to us, right in the heart and right in the middle of it, instead of being in the depths of God's love, mercy, and grace, instead of living there, do you instead live right on the border of sin? And you just tiptoe and put your, dangle your feet in the water of whatever it is we dangle our feet in, right? Do you flirt with sin? Are you asking questions like, how far can I go before it's a sin? How much can I drink before it's a sin? How, how many taxes do I have to pay before it's a sin? What should I do with my finances before it's a sin? What My granddad used to joke. He'd say, it's not gambling if you tithe off the winnings. And do you, do you flirt with sin? Guys, how are your eyes? As a follower of Christ... Not just guys, everybody. Are you looking at things you ought not look at? Are you saying things you ought not say? Are you doing things you ought not do? Because you know it's covered. It's covered, I'm good. Are you taking the grace of God for granted? 
Or worse, Hebrews chapter 10 talks about, are you trampling the blood of Christ underfoot because you're flirting with sin? You should, as a follower of Christ, you should ask that question. Because remember, we just read that passage where it talks about some of you will get in, but then all of your works will be tested by fire, and some will be wood, hay, and stubble and just burned up, and some will be gold and silver. You'll be able to take that prize and look, Jesus, look what I made for you. Some of us might get into heaven simply just by the skin of the teeth, skin of our teeth with a little bit of smoke coming off the backside, right? We might just slide our way into heaven. But is that what you really... Is that what you want to give to God? Why would you, with the grace God's given to you, why would you flirt with sin? Don't do that as a follower of Christ. As a follower of Christ, do you obey God's voice? Are you obedient to God's voice? This is the urgency that I think we must feel around this. You have friends and family. There are people right here in this community who are good people, and I love them. And I love that we get to do our lives together right here in Owasso and Tulsa and around this community, but they don't know Jesus. And they're good people. And this is the best judgment we'll ever be for them. This right now, Owasso, Oklahoma, it's the best they'll ever experience. When I hold the information that allows them to move from death into life, now, God's going to do what he's going to do, but man, what a privilege it would be for me to get to be there when it happens, for me to be the one to share the gospel with that person who moves from death into life. You should feel an urgency about that around the people that you know. Do you obey God's voice, or do you constantly find excuses to just not talk about things? Yeah, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm just going to leave that. This is what I believe. That's what they believe. It'll be fine. Do you obey God's voice? As a follower of Christ, are your relationships characterized, excuse me, are your, is your life characterized by broken relationships? We know that first commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The next one is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Are you one of those believers that in your wake is one broken relationship after another? That doesn't sound like what Christ died for. Is there someone you need to forgive? Is there someone you need to have a conversation with? The conversation Chris had this Thursday with Oklahoma Baptist pastors and church leaders was a tense conversation. And there are people who just disagree with one another. And in the middle of that, we walked out going, we can keep cooperating together in ministry because we love each other and we love Christ. And yeah, I'm passionate and so are you and I love it. Is there a wake of broken relationships in your path? Or as a follower of Christ, are you known to deliver mercy and grace? You've heard me say this before. When you walk into a room and then leave it, does peace follow after? In that urgency to share the gospel, do they know that the reason why you're a good guy or a good girl isn't because you just grew up in the right spot? Do they know that Christ is the reason? Those are good things to ask yourself as a Christ follower. And then there's just really one question for those of you who have rejected Christ, who have pushed and said no to him over and over and over again. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? 
because there will come this moment. Remember, I've said it a few times now. Judgment is coming. And the righteous judge, he'll redeem the believers and reward what's right. He'll reveal all of the wrong for all of the wrongdoers. And then you, as a wrongdoer, will receive your just reward. That name being written in the Lamb's Book of Life, personally, I believe it's written in the blood of Jesus. I think that's the ink that he used. And when that book is opened, if your name is there, well done, good and faithful servant. If your name is not, there's nothing left but an eternity without God that is hell for eternity. So those, are, those are the two options. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Have you passed from death into life? Remember I said that for every wrongdoer, that every wrong will be revealed? I wonder... If you've rejected Christ over and over again and you're in this room right now listening to my voice or you're watching online and you're listening to this right now, I wonder if you reject Christ today, if every wrong will be revealed, I wonder if sometime in eternity when judgment comes, I wonder if you'll see this moment and remember had a chance I could have asked for forgiveness I could have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins I, I could have if every wrong will be revealed I wonder if you'll see this moment again because God has this incredible desire for his people his desire is that they would be forgiven his desires, that they would walk with him, that they would be redeemed, they would be justified, they would be sanctified, and then in this moment, that this would be glory, so that in that moment, you can enter the throne room boldly and humbly with confidence. Look to the righteous judge and everyone else and say, judge me. Let me invite you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. This invitation really has kind of two possibilities. For those of you who are followers of Christ, I wonder if there's someone you should be sharing the gospel with. Would you pray for them as we pray? Would you ask God to give you an urgency and an opportunity to share the gospel with the people around you? And, and if you're someone who's a believer who's flirting with sin, would you ask God to forgive you? Would you allow his conviction to move you to do the right thing? To someday present to him a kindergarten-level drawing that simply says, thanks, Dad, I love you. This altar is going to be open, and there's going to be people all over the room who'd be willing to talk with you or pray with you if you need someone to chat with or if you need someone to pray with. And then for those of you who are far from God, who have stiff-armed God, who have rejected him over and over and over again, I wonder if today you'll hear his voice. I wonder if today you'll say yes to him. I wonder if today your name could be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. 
And once again, I'll pray when I say amen, we'll stand up. There'll be people all over this room at every door who'd be willing to talk with you and pray with you about what it means to be a Christ follower, about what it means for your name to be written in the Lamb's book of life. Go to them, talk to them, ask them questions. There's answers to be found. God's not scared of your questions, so you shouldn't be either. Come ask your questions and find faith in who God is and what Christ has done for you. There's people in the foyer who would be glad to talk with you. Don't let this moment go by without looking to Jesus and asking him to enter your life and, and move you from death into life. Heavenly Father, today, I pray that you would move in our hearts and in this congregation. I pray that we would stop flirting with sin, that we would recognize the value and the significance of the grace and the mercy that we've been given through Jesus as followers of Christ, that we would do our best to create something after this salvation that you've given to us that's worthy of the gospel that you've called us with. So, Father, would you help us to be those men and women who follow and serve you well? And for the people in this room who are lost, would you work a miracle in their lives today? Would you write their name in your book, in the Lamb's Book of Life? Would you allow us as a church today the privilege of seeing them place their faith in you and finding a new believer in this place. So, Father, would you move in our midst today and allow us to follow you? We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.